the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I see my name in shiny lights, yeah, a different city every night, oh, I, I swear, the world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. It's time to get down to business on the weekend's number one business program. Known as the king of networking, your host, Shalom Klein, has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and created countless jobs. So, to success, let's get down to business. We are all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You are on with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at shalomkline.com. And while you are there... Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Shalom Klein. It's going to be a jam-packed week of content and information you will not want to miss. It's a live show. You could call in to the beautiful studio here in Elk Grove Village at 312-642-5600. And remember to check out our wonderful sponsors, Your Solution Center, the folks at Tandem HR. Give them a call, 630-928-0510, or check out their website, tandemhr.com. I'm thrilled to be joined by... The uh, by the CEO of real estate hard money lender Wal- Walnut Street Finance, Bobby, Bobby Montaigne. Thanks for so much for joining us on the program. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, Bobby, um, you have uh, discovered an area which many of our listeners probably don't know much about. This idea of uh, of real estate hard money lending and this idea of of Real estate, uh, you've been involved in housing redevelopment projects and have found some ways to make, uh, to help people make a lot of money. How did you get into this, Bobby? Tell us your story. Well, um, thanks again for having me. The, my short story is I, uh, got out of school in the late eighties. I worked for other real estate developers and finance companies for 10 years. I started my own company in 1997. Uh, building what I call infill residential projects in and around Washington, D.C., around what we call the Beltway. And when I say infill, I mean uh, basically that whole area has been built out, and it has been built out for years, decades even. So if you want to develop there, you have to buy something old and reposition it, knock it down, renovate it, gut renovate it, that sort of thing. So I did that for 20 years. In 2017, I started. Uh, I decided that uh, I had built enough things, and I wanted to begin to lend money to my former competitors. And uh, I had a reason for doing that, but uh, that's my short story. Interesting. So, Bobby, you have uh, you have, as you said. Uh discovered this world of uh, of house flipping. I think that's the general term that many people refer to it as. And you've become a voice on that subject of how it's serving both investor and community interests. What I found, Bobby, is that there are, that there's a small number of people that have discovered this and they're making a lot of money. But you've, you've discovered how it's actually impacting the economy. Uh, how, 
property, property flipping, uh, house flipping, whatever you want to call it, is it creating jobs? Tell us, tell us the, the, why it, why more people should get into it, again for the community reasons. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, house flipping and repositioning houses has been going on for a very, very long time. And what happened was that in 2005 and 2006, it peaked, like many things in real estate, before the recession. And then it dropped off a cliff. And uh, unlike many things, since the recession have regained or crawled back or trended towards um, improving uh, capital money for fix and flip or infill development, uh, wasn't available post-recession. The reason it wasn't available is because there was a law that was passed called Dodd-Frank that essentially didn't allow banks to participate in this space anymore. It uh, just it made it too difficult, too many boxes for a developer or a fix-and-flipper to check in order to get financing through a traditional bank. And uh, I saw that in 2013. I didn't do anything about it. I saw it in 2014. I didn't do anything about it. And then finally in 2015, I decided to pivot my company from being the builder developer to the guy who provided financing to all the other rehabbers or fix and flippers. And, uh, and that's where you have see, Walnut Street Finance. So tell us a little bit about what you do. Uh, you call yourselves the hard money loan lenders, uh, essentially enabling more people to get into the space. Tell us why somebody would need somebody like you. Um, because let's say uh, you, you see an opportunity. In your neighborhood, there's a house that you can buy. It's, uh, everything in your neighborhood trades at 400000 for example. And you see a house that you can buy for 250000 But the house is dilapidated. Nobody could live in it. It's run down and has been run down for years. Um, you, you buy it. You put a contract in for 250000 You have a great buy. You have to put in maybe seventy-five to a hundred thousand dollars to improve it, and then it's worth whatever all the other houses in the neighborhood are worth—four hundred plus or minus thousand. So you buy it for two fifty, you fix it for call it seventy-five or a hundred, so you're in at three twenty-five or three fifty. You sell for four hundred, you make fifty to seventy-five thousand dollars. That's the lure. That's the attraction of this space, and we provide the capital for that developer or that fix and flipper because unless they had that cash lying around which most of them don't they need capital they need debt and uh, they can't go to their traditional bank to get debt and we provide that capital and the, you know unfortunately the space is known as hard money lending which you know is a i don't think a great name for it it's really a private lending it's it's the private bank it's it's private lending it's not hard money lending there's nothing hard about it Interesting. So, Bobby, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to ask you to share uh, all of your secrets, but what uh, I know you've been in this uh, in, in the world of real estate for several decades, and uh, no doubt you have you have discovered the types of deals that are of interest to you. Is there something, uh, any tips that you can share for our listeners? Uh, I realize, obviously, you're uh, primarily in, as you said, the Beltway. Um, but are there any tips that you can share for our listeners in the Chicagoland area? Uh, of of what Bobby Montaigne looks for? Um, yes, for sure. What I look for, what I hunt for, first is neighborhoods that are desirable, which is just simply location. 
Um, for us, it's anything close to our metro, which is our subway system. Um, it's anything close to um, places with that are more walkable, restaurants, retail, desirable places. So I look for neighborhoods close to those. And then I look for that dilapidated or that rundown or that forgotten piece of property in there. And uh, I bought it. Um, I improve it, and then I sell it, and I do that again and again. And uh, now I'm doing that exact same thing, except I'm I'm providing the capital for others to do it. Bobby, I want to pick on uh, the middle part of what you just said. The uh, you improve it, and I realize that that's mm-hmm. your intention to improve. But there's often uh, along the way a lot of uh, permits that need to be pulled and a lot of approvals that need to be obtained. How uh, how have you found the uh, the uh, government? And I'll use that as a as a very general term, but local and and other officials to be uh, supportive of uh, of folks like you that are involved in in property redevelopment. Uh, Shalom, you just you so nailed it. Um, so many people get in trouble. Uh, Let me back up. So you see the opportunity, you uh, take action, and you write a contract. And you know a little bit about construction. You might have had a hammer in your hand at one point in your life, and you feel confident in the construction side. But he gets caught up is on the permit and approval and inspection side. And in order to... Um, in order to get through the permanent approval side, it's, there, it's not a black box. It's not a secret. And the municipalities aren't the enemy. They're simply trying to ensure that people build uh, safe housing for the ultimate end user. So the way to do it is you hire an architect. You draw plans, construction plans. You lay down the specifications. For example, we're going to use two-by-fours for interior walls. And then you walk those plans through the appropriate municipality or city, and they're glad to provide input, review them, and approve them. Then you have your permits. You have the foundation plans to build your home, to to renovate the home. And you have the construction drawings to provide to construction inspectors throughout the process. It sounds step-by-step, but in reality, it becomes very, very difficult and frustrating because people don't have the proper plans and specifications to begin with. It's a huge tripping point for many fix and flippers, and, you know, it's one of the things that we're proud of in our lending is that we can help our borrowers get through Uh, that process because you've been through it so many times before well bobby we appreciate your input uh fascinating knowledge on a very very interesting subject of real estate entrepreneurship uh something that many of our listeners probably don't know much about but they should find out a lot more there's a lot available online and a lot of information available on your website walnutstreetfinance.com uh bobby montang the uh, ceo of walnut street finance thank you so much for joining us on get down to business Shalom, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Coming up after this very quick break, we're going to be chatting with Michael Meath, the spokesman for the American Coalition of Competitive Energy Suppliers. You don't want to miss it, Chicago. Uh, You're listening to Get Down to Business. We'll be right back. It's a business to show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We are powered by Tandem HR. Check them out online, tandemhr.com. I'm here with a returning guest, Michael Meath, the spokesman for the American Coalition of Competitive Energy Suppliers. 
Uh, and uh, Michael, we had you on about two years ago to talk about energy choice, but I know uh, that the organization is out with a white paper, uh, which is particularly timely as winter fast approaches, sadly, uh, that sort of discusses how four factors drive decisions on selecting energy products. Uh, Michael, welcome back. Tell us a little bit about that, uh, that study and uh, what you're finding from folks in Illinois. Shalom. Thanks for having us back on. Really appreciate it. And, um, yes, we did just uh, complete a white paper as a result of a research project last year. We actually did it in two states that uh, were outside of Illinois, but I think have some good information for the folks in Illinois as well. We did a study with 500 consumers in Ohio and 500 in Florida, two very important states from an energy standpoint. In Ohio, they've had 100% energy choice for 15, 20 years now. And then in Florida, where, of course, they got their hands full with something else, but right now what we found is that there is no one that has energy choice down there. And what we learned, Shalom, from both states is that 75% or more of the people that live there either value the energy choice that they have or wish that they had it. And it's that's pretty uniform across both states. And so when you consider Illinois and everything that's going on in Illinois, where there's a fair amount of choice, about 1.8 million people now uh, have an electric supplier other than their utility, um, and there are options and choices, and all we continue to do is try to help educate consumers and with help with shows like yours where we can at least guide people to a website and, and ask them to learn more. Absolutely. And, Michael, of course, we'll share some websites with our listeners. But um, the American Coalition of Competitive Energy Suppliers, uh, so you're a group of competitive retail, uh, retail natural gas and electricity suppliers, where you're committed, as you mentioned, to uh, to that uh, to that education for consumers and, and doing outreach to make sure that people understand their choices. So here in Illinois, I know you've talked about this in the past, how we are, uh, we are in the process of, we are uh, slightly deregulated. Is that a good thing? It, it, it's a good thing. And, and I like how you chose your words. We are slightly deregulated in Illinois. And, and that is true. There, there is a, it's a constant um, struggle and an effort to try to continue to open up the markets. Uh, there are places, not even just in Illinois, but in other states, where it, it's still hard to get policymakers to understand that a competitive market, a free market, is probably the best way for consumers to be able to not only have a say in what products and services they would like, and to drive those prices down, because certainly it is about price, but also to get them what they'd like, because not everyone wants the same thing. Some people like, you know, I was very fascinated by your last uh, guest and talking about houses and flipping them, and it made me think about mortgages and how you can get a fixed-price mortgage for 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years, or you can get a variable-price mortgage, and people should be able to buy their energy the same way. If they want fixed-price, variable-price, if they'd like solar power, which has changed a ton just from the last time I was on with you a couple years ago, 
Uh, there's just so many choices, and that's what the whole idea of competitive choice is about. So, Michael, earlier in the week, as I uh, as I was uh, talking uh, to folks about the uh, about our guests coming on the show, we posted on our Facebook page, uh, which I guess shameless plug. Uh, be sure to uh, check out our Facebook page and our Twitter. Um, we posted that that you'd be back on the show, and we got a number of comments. Uh, people saying that uh, why do we need co- why do we need I guess you could say deregulation, but why why do we need competition uh, when, especially in this in this age of so many natural disasters, when there's going to be an issue, and we know it's going to happen, that there's going to be power failures, or there's going to be a hurricane somewhere, fortunately not here in Illinois, uh, people are saying, with deregulation and with competition, the local uh, utilities won't respond to uh, emergencies. Michael, what do you have to say to them? Well, that's a great question, and, and you do have a great Facebook page, by the way. But the, uh, the, the thing that people need to really understand, Shalom, is that if you have competitive energy suppliers, your utility's role is exactly the same as it was before. Uh, the utilities have done for 100 years, and in Illinois, you know, it's one of those places where this all began when we think about the electric grid. Uh, really, the utilities have done exactly what they've supposed to do for the last hundred years, provide a reliable system of power. That won't change. And no, you don't have hurricanes, thank God, in Illinois, but just some pretty bad storms, uh, as much of the Northeast does and the Upper Midwest does. And even with those, we're fortunate that the power doesn't go out very often. Even when it does, we're still going to rely on those utilities. That is their job, and that's what they do so well in maintaining that power grid, if you will. What we're talking about is the power that gets placed on the grid that people then have the choice to use, whether it's solar, wind to a smaller degree, um, natural gas turned into electricity, uh, hydro, and so forth, even nuclear. All of those things make up the complex, and they're all important. Interesting. So, Michael, uh, I, you mentioned solar earlier. You mentioned a lot of different uh, options that are out there. Uh, and I'm curious how the world of competitive energy suppliers, how it's impacting local economies uh, regarding jobs and regarding supporting the the entrepreneurship uh Climate and culture uh, that that every state, certainly here in Illinois, we uh, we want to build. Uh, tell us a little bit about about why competition is a good thing for uh, for uh, for business and for jobs. Yeah, absolutely. Well, when you think about the traditional electric utility, Shalom, we all knew people that worked for, or know people that work for the you know the power company. Well, with competitive energy, now we've opened up a whole new job stream where people are installing solar panels on roofs of houses, and solar power has come so far ahead now, where it used to be you need to have the bright, bright, sunny day to get energy out of it. Now, even on a cloudy day, a good solar-powered system will generate electricity. And so a lot of the smaller competitive energy companies are employing people right in communities that are installing these systems. They're installing what are called microgrids. It used to be that we, I was on a radio show in Michigan the other day, and the gentleman I was on with was saying, well, there's no way that solar is going to power Detroit, for example. And you know what? He's right. That isn't going to happen overnight. But what will happen is we're going to have uh, 
subdivisions and cul-de-sacs of residential neighborhoods and businesses that are going to have their own power grid, if you will, in a small distribution system. And that's going to be creating jobs for people to install them, to maintain them, to run them. And that's going to create, that competition is going to create jobs and going to help the economy. It's not that energy is going to go away. It's how we buy it and how it gets brought to us is going to be different. Well, I appreciate you coming on to uh, demystify uh, this. Uh, this, Frankly, it's complicated, and, and uh, you do a great job of it. And I know, of course, we'll share uh, the coalition's website so people can learn a lot about some of the other questions that are being asked and, and some of the research that's being done. But, Michael, in the very, very uh, quick few uh, moments that we have with you uh, remaining, is there any... Uh, is there any trends out there, any technology that, uh, that you guys are following uh, that we can expect over the coming years in the world of energy suppliers? Great question, Shalom. Absolutely. The smart meter. So the meter that is on your home that will eventually um, enable you to not just control when you turn lights on and off so you're away on vacation or away for the evening and you want lights to come on and come off from a security standpoint, but also other energy sources in your home. When you wash the dishes, when you do your laundry, when the water heater will kick on or not, uh, all of those devices are going to be uh, able to be controlled in the smart home, if you will. We've been doing it for a long time in the larger commercial buildings, but that is coming down closer and closer to the residential uh, property level, and that's going to create not only jobs and opportunities, but it's also going to create a smarter, localized purchase of energy that will at times save us money and at other times give us the conveniences that we want for our comfort. That's great. Michael Meath, uh, again, the spokesman for the American Coalition of Competitive Energy Suppliers. Lots of information available on your website, competitiveenergy.org. Michael, always appreciate having you on the, pro- having you on the program, and we'll be sure to uh, check back with you over the coming uh, weeks and months ahead. Thanks, Sean. Absolutely. Competitiveenergy.org. Uh, we're going to be back after quick break and some headlines. We've got two fantastic guests joining me here in studio. You don't want to miss it, Chicago. You're listening to Get Down to Business. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business. We are the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship, and I'm thrilled to be joined here in studio by Scott Weingast and Jordan Salins from Start Advisory. Uh, guys, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having us, Sharon. Absolutely. Thanks, so, Scott, um, you, uh, you and Jordan uh, have become experts in the world of IP valuation, something that probably many of our listeners don't know very much about. Uh, if you don't mind, uh, tell me a little bit about how you got into the space and uh, the types of companies you've been working with. Sure. So, um, for, this is Scott. For me, uh, I joined the, the accounting firm Deloitte, um, about 15, 16 years ago, I met a uh, partner there who was involved in intellectual property uh, services, some of which relate to valuing intellectual property. And um, I kind of did a couple of projects with him, thought it was super interesting, and uh, began to focus my career on that and, and haven't looked back since then. So the world of intellectual property IP is uh, is fascinating. Uh, it's uh, You cannot turn on the news these days without hearing about a company suing another company because of their intellectual property, trademarks, patents, and all sorts of stuff. But what you guys have done is, what you guys do, I should say, is you are 
helping companies, helping entrepreneurs look at the value of their products and services. So, uh, Jordan, I, I know that uh, that you're a little bit newer to the firm, but you've I, you and I have discussed uh, before before the show uh, a little bit about uh, what drew you in and the uh, and and your particular interests. Tell us a little a little bit about it. Sure. So, intellectual property it spans every industry. Um, I've done work in the automotive space, um, food, retail, tech. It's such a emerging area right now, um, you know, 80% of uh, value of, a, of an average business is attributable to their intangible assets. By comparison, if you look at that about, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, those numbers were flipped. So as firms are moving away from traditional manufacturing and more into tech-based services, uh, the need to understand intellectual property, how firms use it, the struggles they have with it, how to monetize uh, to me, it's fascinating. It spans a lot of different industries, and it's a it's a up and coming and uh, hot area to be. Interesting. So, uh, to, I, I know that when somebody's in uh, has a need, I'm sure this is all consuming, and this is. Uh, I mean, you're talking about big dollars. Their, their their life's work is going into their businesses, their products and services. That's where uh, that's where Start Advisor has has has, uh, has has focused. But tell us a little bit more about the company uh, and uh, the offices and the other areas which uh, which your colleagues are working in. Sure. So we primarily operate in three different uh, types of services that we provide to our clients. Um, one, we have an investment bank that mainly facilitates the sale of businesses in all sorts of industries um, for its owners. And so we're helping owners sell their businesses, make money, exit those businesses. Um, we also do a lot of work in what we call the dispute and forensics area. That's basically when companies have some sort of legal dispute, uh, they have to determine how much money is owed from one company to the other. Usually there's a suit because they believe that they've lost some amount of money, and we actually calculate what that amount of money is for one of the parties in the dispute, and we'll testify at trials as to what that amount of money is. And then we have the valuation area. So we do a lot, valuation of all sorts of different types of assets, a lot of business valuation, but valuation of tangible property like real estate, plan and equipment. Um, and of course, Jordan and I work on, on intellectual property assets as well. Interesting. And Jordan, you and I uh, talked, I remember I asked you this question of, uh, of whether the uh, Stouts work with, uh, with businesses, with business owners. Is it reactive or proactive? And uh, I, you know, it's, it's very interesting because I, I, over the past three plus years of, of hosting this program, I've talked to literally thousands of entrepreneurs, people with different ideas. Is the discussion about intellectual property and and talking to a strategic advisor such as you know you and and Scott, uh, is it something that that people should be doing before they talk about a sale, or is it something that when they start to talk about their exit strategy, that's when they should be having a conversation with somebody like yourself? You know, we encourage people to be as proactive about this as possible. Um, a lot of firms come to us. They're looking to raise capital. Uh, they're trying to raise, they're, they're talking to investors, they're talking to venture capital, and they need to know how much their technology is worth. Uh, when you look at startups, they don't own a lot of tangible assets. The, most of their value is attributable to their intangibles. And so to the extent that you can identify how valuable that is immediately, um, it's going to be a little bit easier for you to attract financing, potentially sell your business, uh, you know, raise, raise money, whether it's bank or, you know, an angel investment. Uh, so we like firms uh, being as proactive as possible. Unfortunately, you know, and that's not always the case. And some firms are a little bit more uh, reactive. But, you know, to the extent you, you can understand that as soon as possible, 
uh, you'll be better off down the road. And you're working with the other sort of trusted advisors, the, uh, the attorneys, the accountants uh, behind the scenes as well? We are. Uh, we're working with, with patent attorneys, IP attorneys, accountants, uh, small businesses, universities, law firms. Um, just sort of depends on the nature of the, uh, the valuation and the purpose. There's a variety of different contexts, but uh, you know, worked with individual inventors and, and larger you know, Fortune 500 type companies as well. I, I feel like we're sort of pulling open the curtain over here because so many people talk about, you know, in the news, you talk about the sale of companies. You talk about, uh, you know, the, uh, the suits that go on uh, behind the scenes, but, but you don't really talk about the, uh, the discussions that are taking place. And I, I see from the, from the looks on your face, this is, uh, this is exciting for you as well uh, in helping uh, companies uh, go through that process. Uh, gentlemen, we've got to take a very, very quick break over here. After the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, Stout Services and the types of companies that you've been working with. Uh, Chicago, don't touch that dial. We'll be right back with more from Scott and Jordan from Stout Advisory. It's always a lot of fun having great guests here in studio. I am joined uh, by uh, Jordan Salads and Scott Weingast. Uh, we've been talking a lot about intellectual property valuation, uh, and uh, it, it, it's to some it might be uh, on the dull side of things, but I think for uh, I, I'm just being honest, guys. And but but for those of us in business, entrepreneurs, uh, you know, folks in the world of big business and small business, this is something that we live all the time we you know folks that start a company they go into it not just for the fun of it although sometimes it is fun uh you often have an exit plan in place and you guys are strategic advisors on that exit plan uh scott i was wondering if i can uh if i can talk to you a little bit about some of the examples of projects that you've worked on in the past um because uh you know in order for companies to realize that they need a service they need to know about other companies that have used those services. Certainly. So a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of startup companies, they have uh, intellectual property. A lot of it may be technology, for instance, and they need partners in order to be successful. And so um, we've been involved in projects where we've helped facilitate deals between companies. And so as an example, um, we helped a small startup out of Dartmouth University that had a very interesting technology that was a platform for creating pharmaceutical products. And they were trying to get into a joint venture with a public company out of China. And they were going to be contributing their uh, their patent portfolio and trade secrets. And the Chinese company is going to be contributing cash to the joint venture. And so they need to understand the value of that IP so they can determine what, sh- what share of the JV they would own once, the, once it was created. And so we were able to per- perform that valuation of the IP. They did the deal with the Chinese company. And now they're moving forward to bringing their technology to market. Interesting. And how big is too big and how small is too small uh, for, uh, for your team to, to work with? Uh, with a valuation project? You know, I would say there's nothing really too small or too big. We've done jobs for some of the biggest companies in the world in, in, in various cases, and we work with very early-stage startup companies uh, that are looking just to get off the ground and raise some raise capital and move forward with their pro- with their product. So um, really, we, we, we span, uh, you know, all sorts of sizes. Interesting. Uh, and uh, I, I have to ask that in your... Uh, in your personal lives, as you uh, as you go about and and go out to eat, or you go shopping, you go to a uh, you go to Best Buy to buy uh, the latest and greatest uh, in electronics. Are you are, are you do you have uh, dollar signs uh, going uh, you know glazing over your your eyeballs and and you're thinking about uh, about what sort of project this would look like? 
You know, not so much dollar signs trying to figure out what it's worth, but more, um, you know, we come across a lot of technology that you use in your daily life. And so it's, you know, we look at products and stores, I think, a lot of times, and we, and we really understand a lot about them more so than the average person because we may have delved into that technology for a certain type of project. So we have these insights that I always find interesting, and I, I, a lot of times I'm sharing them with my wife and telling her about things that I've learned in my, in my work. Oh my goodness! Christmas shopping must be uh, must be very very interesting uh, going around and uh, <laughs> and seeing what's what's out there that's right around the corner. So uh, so folks, uh, I, I know that this must be Jordan and Scott's uh, favorite uh, favorite time of year. But uh, Jordan, you you guys have mentioned several times about uh, sort of a global presence. Uh, obviously, we're having this conversation in Chicago. Uh, tell us a little bit about the the global presence of, of Stout. So we've, we've worked with companies around the country. Uh, personally, work with companies based in China, France, Germany. Um, you know, Indo- I- IP is not necessarily, uh, you know, confined to the United States. So we have companies all around the country. Uh, as a firm, we're expanding, um, opening up actually some offices around the country. We're opening up, uh, you know, a couple offices overseas uh, in Europe. So... You know, we, we, you know, focus on a lot of different areas. Interesting. So, uh, guys, we are running out of time, and I want to make sure that our listeners can uh, can learn more about the practice, learn more about the work that you do, and potentially even get in touch if they want to have a discussion or a consultation. Uh, what's the best way to reach uh, your team? You can check out our website. Uh, it's www.stoutadvisory.com. All the information there, including our contact information. Fantastic. Stoutadvisory.com. I uh, encourage all of our listeners to uh, to check it out, learn more. I know aside for uh, information on contacting you, there's also uh, a lot of just general information about the world of IP and valuation. So uh, Jordan and Scott, thanks so much for joining us uh, here in the studio. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, uh, we've got a lot more tips, advice, and information to share with you. But speaking of advice, tips, and information, always want to make sure that uh, plug in our uh, our wonderful uh, strategic advisors over at Tandem HR. We call them our solution center because they are experts in everything Affordable Care Act and the world of regulation, which we've talked about quite a bit in this program already today. Uh, You can check out their website and their wonderful blog at tandemhr.com. They also have a, uh, they will offer a free consultation to anybody, HR managers, CEOs, and uh, anybody interested in learning about PEOs, professional employer organizations, uh, so you can learn more about how your small business can join a pool of other similar companies and save money on healthcare costs, save money on administration and compliance. Such complicated subjects in this day and age. Check out their brand new website and their fantastic blog, tandemhr.com, or give them a call for that free consultation. We talked about 630-928-0510, 630-928-0510, or their website one more time, tandemhr.com. Coming up after the break, uh, we've talked uh, a lot with my uh, with my friends here in studio, Jordan and Scott, about intellectual property. We're going to share some words of inspiration for entrepreneurs from uh, Steve Jobs, uh, and he talked. There were some great leadership lessons that he shared that I wanted to share with all of our listeners uh, this evening. We'll also uh, talk about uh, what goes into making decisions in business. All of you business owners are all making decisions all the time. I want to talk to you a little bit about some reflections from some decisions I've been making over these past few days. Lots more of this and so much more coming up after this very quick break. You're listening to Get Down to Business. You can always download podcasts from the 300 plus shows at 
shalomkline.com. Check it out. So now it's time for your business tip of the week, which can be your daily on the morning show at 7.30 a.m. right here on AM560, The Answer. Decision fatigue is one of the biggest challenges impacting communication today. So it's worth revisiting this information and uh, talking about it. It's estimated that adults make 35,000 decisions each day, which does sound ridiculous, but when we consider that each email we receive involves decisions as well as the clothes we wear, the food we eat, the uh, when we book appointments, and so on, it starts to make sense. And by the way, this is not my information. This is readily information available out there, so check it out yourself. And it follows that as each day progresses, making decisions, let alone making the right decisions, becomes more difficult. So how does this impact our ability to serve our customers and clients? What can we do to ease that fatigue? Understanding and embracing that is key to our success in creating effective communication with our customers and prospects and delivering great service. The word service has old French and Latin origins and in the 1200s began to refer to assistance, help, helpful act. Today, when we reduce the decisions we request of our customers, we are becoming more helpful. We're offering excellent service. So I've been traveling a lot over these past few weeks. Fortunately, it's calming down over the next few weeks. But I stayed at a hotel. It was a uh, it was actually a wonderful experience. All the staff were incredibly helpful, cheerful, making it a go-to hotel for me. I checked in after delivering a full day of meetings and leading and facilitating. So I was definitely in that tired and hungry space. I seem to always be in that tired and hungry space. There was a line at the front desk and the buzz of impatience clearly in the air. Staff handled it well. And when my turn arrived, I experienced a wave of relief, which comes when unpacking and good food are close at hand. So then came the questions common to most hotels. Are you collecting reward points? If I was the ultra organized person that I'd like to always be, I consider myself to be pretty organized, but I wouldn't say the ultra organized person. I'd probably know how to answer this question. But given that sometimes I book my hotel, uh, sometimes other clients do the booking, uh, and sometimes I sign up for points, sometimes my credit card handles it, I didn't know what to say. So I stood at the desk trying to decide if I should go through my wallet and look for that information or maybe submit it later. In the end, I responded with a weary, I have no idea. What if it was easier for hotel staff to answer that question for their customer? A status for rewards should be right there on the screen, attached to the name. Um, We all have ways of decreasing our customers' needs to make decisions, and as a consequence, create an opportunity to deliver superior service. Try it out. In the coming weeks, pay attention to the questions you'll ask the majority of your clients or customers. Are all of them necessary, or can you gather and maintain that information in another way? What about the requests you receive from customers? Is there a better way to deliver that information before being asked, try it out. I'm always looking for your feedback on my website, shalomkline.com. Um, and that's where you can download podcasts. But real quick, I just wanted to share something. Uh, everybody's talking about the new iPhone that's out there. Personally, I'm not an iPhone guy, but uh, I've been following the news. And I was thinking about Steve Jobs, and so I started looking up some things about him, sort of looking for inspiration behind the man that inspired the iPhone and all of Apple's products. Um, and uh, Steve Jobs used to say, dream bigger. Um, somebody uh, somebody uh, posted that online. Somebody that Steve Jobs uh, was uh, sort of, he viewed Steve Jobs as his mentor, and he asked Steve for what's the best advice 
uh, that that he'd like to pass along to other entrepreneurs. Dream bigger. And that's something that I want to share with all of our listeners here tonight and get down to business. Dream bigger, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you are looking for jobs, no matter where you are in the world of business, you've got to dream big, you've got to dream bigger, and you've got to look for ways to take your ideas to the next level. As I always say, develop, never plateau. That's what it is all about. Check out our sponsors, Tandem HR, tandemhr.com, 630-928-0510. What a fantastic lineup of guests we had on the program today. Bobby Montaigne, uh, Michael Meath, Jordan Salins, Scott uh, from uh, Stout Advisory. Great lineup of guests, content, information. You could always download podcasts from our show. Get a sneak peek of who's going to be on next week on the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship on my website, ShalomKlein.com. Also, follow me on Twitter, at ShalomKlein. To success, let's get down to business. We'll talk to you next Sunday. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.